welcome to Faith Point, the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with Senior Pastor Carol Eldreth. Our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life. So let's join Pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's Word. As you take out your Bibles and find your sermon notes in the ministry guide, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for, again, your word. Thank you that speaks to our hearts and to our lives. And now, Father, we pray that Jesus would be glorified in, in everything that we do and say. Father, we do pray for boys and girls who are next door. Um, we pray, Father, that you would bless them, that they would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as well, uh, from the, the sixth graders all the way down to those in the preschool. Father, let them, let them know that they are loved by you. Thank you for the workers that are over there. Thank you for um, the helpers that are in here. Now, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your spirit, using your word, for we pray these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. We're going to go all the way through chapter 4. So we're going to be here for, no, we're not going to be here for too long. But we are going to go through, we are going to go through the book of uh, chapter 4. Um, then I will tell you that we're going to take a hiatus from 1 Corinthians. We're not through with it. We'll come back on the first Sunday of January. Uh, unless God has other plans, we're going to come back to it on the first Sunday of January. And then continue on there's still a lot of first corinthians left after chapter four so we're going to do that but uh starting um with with after today we are we are transitioning into that other season that comes around once a year christmas and so we're going to be thinking about the birth of christ uh up and up through christmas uh sunday uh we have some some wonderful sundays planned and christmas uh, eve is a Sunday, we're going to have a great day. We're going to have the, a cantata that morning. Uh, we're going to come back for a Christmas Eve uh, candlelight service that evening, and uh, we're just going to—it's going to be a great day. So, hope you have that marked on your calendar, and that you plan on being with us for both of those. But today, we're in First Corinthians chapter four, starting at verse one. So, follow along with me, and we'll just read through this chapter very quickly. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as the those entrusted with the secret things of God, that according to the Apostle Paul. And he goes on to say in verse 2, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any other human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will, have, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For those, uh, for, for who makes you who different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast uh, as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. 
how I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, and to as well as to men. And verse 10 goes on to say, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. You are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are weak. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if it were not coming, uh, as, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out um, not only how the, these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love? with a gentle spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And that is chapter 4. And as you listen to that, you may think, oh, gee, I'm not sure what we're going to hear today. I'm not sure what Paul is trying to say necessarily. Uh, and, and we have to remember what we've seen so far in the first three chapters. Paul has talked to these Corinthian believers at the church of Corinth. Uh, he has talked to them uh, about the role of a leader. Uh, he, he, and, and we're going to talk today about that, who really is in charge of what happens in your life. And that's an important question to answer. For the, for the first three chapters, Paul said again and again, stop boasting about human leaders, you remember. Don't boast about me. Don't boast about Apollos. Don't boast about Cephas. Um, just, just don't do that. Stop doing that, he said. He says, stop arguing with one another about it. Stop defining yourself by whose fan you are. Um, and Paul knew that kind of adulation in the church was not going to be good. It was not going to have a good outcome in the life of the church. Uh, and, and, it was, and he understood the conditional fit fickle nature of typical followers because it doesn't matter what arena you put followers in they kind of act the same way wherever they're at it just it just has a a, 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 a pattern that it follows um, they, they tend to say things like to the one they're following you're my hero I want to hang on every word that you say The only thing I ask of you in return is you do the heavy lifting of discipleship. 
and I'll sit and watch and be comfortable. That's all we ask. Oh, no, there's one more thing I want to ask you. I want, to be, I want you to be perfect in everything that you do. Not a bad deal if you can get it, is it? I'll be your fan. I'll hang on your every word. Just don't expect anything from me and don't make a mistake on your part. Don't you mess up at all. So, oh, we would never do that. Today's NFL Sunday. Oh, I love that player. I love that quarterback. I'm so glad he's back playing for the Cardinals. Things are going to be great. We're going to win. He's going to make us winners. And it may not be the Cardinals. It may be another team. But there are those players that we love and adore. And we affiliate with them. And we associate with who they are. Until the quarterback throws an interception. Or the linebacker fails to make a tackle. Then they're bunch of overpaid bums. And we don't want anything to do with them. But, but, but we won the playoffs. We won the division. We're going to the Super Bowl. I know that's fantasy for the Cardinal fans this year. Of course, if they'd let you be the head coach, you'd have worked all those things out. And they would be. But if they don't, we're not going to feel like winners. And then we don't want anything to do with them for a while. That's how a fan acts. That's how a fan acts in the football arena, in the political arena. It's how they act in the spiritual arena. We have the same things. I'll hang on every word you say. Just never make a mistake. Because if you make a mistake then I'm not going to feel like a winner. And I want to be a winner. I just don't want to get in the arena to be the, the winner. You are paid to do it. You make me a winner by how you live. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying that we have to be careful of that because when we define our loyalties according to anyone when you when you choose to define your loyalty to a preacher teacher to a worship leader a particular worship leader to a particular church to this denomination or that organization when you do that you easily slip into an entertainment mindset that you want to be a follower, but followership and entertainment get mixed up together. Because if you're not entertaining me anymore, then I am disappointed in you. Because I came to be entertained. I came to church. Maybe to be entertained. I'll come and sit for a little while. I want to listen. 
I want to hear, I want to be wowed with really good teaching and good music. I want, I want you to be at your very best. I want something to be just over the top spectacular. And I might even take some notes, but mostly I will take notes on what you did bad. How you disappointed me in my time to be entertained on Sunday morning. That's what Paul's dealing with in the church of Corinth. Kind of sounds like churches today, doesn't it? That we all read the same books, we sing the same songs, we use the same words because we want to be part of the group, we want, but we want to be entertained. We want to be followers who don't get involved. We just come to put in our time to be wowed and then go home again and things are going to be good and that's attitude that Paul is concerned about in verses 8 through 13 kind of right in the middle of that chapter in chapter 4 he has some words that he speaks about those issues and they're dripping with sarcasm he just he is very sarcastic with this group of people in, in these few verses. He's, he's not pulling any punches, and there's just a lot of sarcasm there. He says in verse 8 again, Already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. In their minds, they had become kings. They were now kings because they had great teachers around them. Golly, they had Paul. They had... Paulus, they had Peter. I mean, those are probably, you know, this this is like the highest echelon of teaching that you could receive. And they said, we're just so full and rich and we've been wowed and worshiped so much, uh, but we don't want to listen to everybody. We just, I want to be a follower of one, but not three. But boy, they better watch out if they mess up. If the one I'm following messes up, that's not going to be good. He said in verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We, you are honored. We are dishonored. He said, that's how you see us. You came to be entertained, and so you're the rich one. We're the poor one. Well, you're the one who is smart, and we're the stupid ones in this whole picture. And obviously, we would add a not to that, but that's what he's saying sarcastically if you look down at verse 11 or 14 again he said i'm not writing this to shame you but to warn you as my dear children so as he finishes up that section of sarcasm he says i want you to understand i love you and i just want to get your attention and let you know where you're headed to if you're not careful you're already on the way there and some of you are already there he says so so let's pay attention to how we are led and what's going on. He wants us to understand that the Christian life is not about aligning yourself with a particular person or not even with a particular group. Nowhere are we told that that's what the Christian life is all about. It's, it's not about participating in certain aspects of that subculture where we kind of look alike and sound alike and think alike. Rather, the Christian life is about uniting with Jesus Christ. 
letting him be Lord of your life, identifying with his death and being transformed by his likeness and, and not... Um, and it's not a spectacular, uh, a, a spectator in the stands type of thing, looking at a spectacular game being played. It is rather a soldier on the field of battle. That's the Christian life. That's what the Corinthians were missing out on. They were not thinking in terms of a soldier. They were thinking in terms of a sports fan. And they look forward to NFL Sunday at church. I want the same thrills that I get when I'm watching an NFL football game as I get when I'm in church. But don't ask me to get down on the field. And it turns out that the field is for soldiers. It is a field of battle. Now, we do need leaders in our lives. Paul's not saying don't have a leader in your life. We all need leaders, and it, and it goes without saying that we cannot make this journey on our own. This journey of the Christian life is bigger than any of us to handle on our own. And that's what we know. We, know we need each other, and we need leaders within the each other. We need leaders in the church. But have to be careful about how we treat them and how we decide who they're going to be. So because we need leaders, there are three questions that everybody has to answer. Every Christian needs to answer these questions at some point in their life if they're going to be able to be who God's calling them to be. The first question is, how will we determine who will be the leaders we turn to? So you've got to determine who they're going to be. And then the second question is, is what will be their role in our everyday lives? If I'm going to determine who a leader will be in my Christian life, then what role will they get to play in my life every day? And then a third question is, and what is our responsibility to those who lead? I need a leader. I have to choose who that leader or those leaders might be. I have to define what, what, their, what their role is going to be in my life, but then I also need to know what my responsibility will be in return to them. So those are, those are key questions, and, and Paul begins to, to, to work on the answers in this chapter. So we start to see some of the things that are happening. We never outgrow, he's going to tell us, our need for leadership in at least some area of our life. Some of us have been saved for a long, long time. You never remember a time, like myself, when you were not in church on a Sunday. You've been to more Bible studies than you can shake a stick at. And you think, what in the world do I need to know that I don't already know? That's what you don't know. That's why you need a leader. There are some areas in your life you will never, you'll never outgrow a need for leaders in your life. It just does not happen. I'm in a group of, I've been for several years, a group of, of, peop, of guys who call, call the Renegade Pastors Network. Because, because we're renegades, we don't want to be normal. Normal is average. Average says I don't need a leader anymore. We need accountability. We need leadership. 
And so there's never a time, I don't care how old you are, how long you've been saved, you still need some leaders in your life. There are some area in your life, there are some areas in your life that you need help getting through. And you're going to need that person or those people that are there. And so Paul is helping us to understand that. And so today we're talking about the fine art of being led. It is not an easy thing to do. You'd think it would be. But you cannot enter into this, this leader relationship with somebody who's going to lead you if you come into it with an NFL fan mentality or a political leader mentality. You have to come into it differently. And, and that's where the rub is because it's not natural to us. It doesn't, it doesn't warm us all the time. It doesn't excite us all the time. But you have to go through it, and we all need to do that on a regular basis. And so what we're talking about today um, is about how that leadership in your life needs to take place in church. It's about how you need leadership at work, uh, how you need a, a personal development type of leadership, how you may need to have a spiritual growth relationship relationship that needs leadership. You need parenting leadership. Uh, you, you need financial management leadership. And the list goes on and on and on. But the same rules count. They still apply. No matter which one of those are and anything else you may add in there, it's always going to be, from a biblical standpoint, the same three-step process. Same three-step process. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Three aspects of the art of being led. And as we look at that, these three things you need to do in order to master the fine art of being led. So what do you need to do to see that you get the leadership that is beneficial to you from a spiritual perspective? The first thing that you need to do is designate for yourself leaders who lead by example. Designate for yourself, leaders who lead by example. And I use that word designate intentionally because it's important to remember that it comes, when it comes to being led by others, it is your choice. Majority of Christians, the vast, overwhelming majority of Christians will never make a choice to be led. And then they'll wonder, why am I just floundering, keep floundering like we've been talking about? Why am I not making any headway? Because you haven't made a choice to. So you have to choose, you have to designate something or someone uh, to be that leader who will lead, but they need to lead by Example, he says. So you decide which kind of leader you're willing to follow, and you and you determine the criteria of how that's going to happen. God gives you some leeway there; He gives you that ability to do that, and and that's necessary because when all is said and done, um, you're the one who has to live with the outcome. It's up to you. You're the one who's going to stand before God. You're going to have to give an account for yourself. And so you determine the outcome. You predetermine what it will be. You can pretty well know what, what, what's going to happen when you stand before the Lord. 
whether you're going to, where you have, you're going to have things to share with him that stand up to the fiery test, um, like like gold and silver would, or you're going to have hay straw, remember, that's going to just burn up. So because it's your life and it's your eternity, it's a good idea that you have some choice in that. So designate who's going to be the leaders, and you want someone who leads by by example, from time to time, you're going to encounter, and you probably already have encountered, uh, people who appoint themselves your personal advisor. You didn't invite them to. They just come along in church, or they come along at work, or they come along from somewhere, and they just take over that job of being your advisor. And it usually doesn't end well when that happens, does it? You think... This is, I didn't ask you to give me this advice. I don't want that advice. I don't want to follow what you're doing. That's your choice not to accept that because you didn't invite them in. They just took over that job. They want to be the keeper of your calendar. They want to be your boss. They want to be maybe your dictator. And, and, and you have to learn to stand your ground and say thank you but no thank you. That's not who, you're not who I want. That's not the kind of leadership that I need. I need a different kind of leadership because that kind of leader is more of that dictator style, but a true spiritual leader is a guide. They're simply a guide. They're not going to force you to do anything. They're not going to beat you with a rod if you don't do everything they told you to do. They're going to just give you guidance. And then you're going to have to choose to follow that guidance or not. Uh, Leaders don't tell you what to do as much as they show you what to do. That's why Paul said in verse 16, Therefore, I urge you to do what? To imitate me. He said, I want you to imitate me. And you think, well, guy, that sounds pretty arrogant of Paul. No, that was very humble of him. He said, I want you to imitate me. Other places it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said, I want you to imitate me because I am living out what I am modeling to you. What I am showing you. What I am helping you to understand. You can see it in me. It's not about words. It's about so much as it is my lifestyle. It is my life. So he said, I want you to imitate me. At one time or another, every one of us has had at least, don't do as I say, but do as, uh, don't do as I do, but do as I say type of leader in your life, haven't you? Did it ever go well for you? No, it didn't. Because that's not, biblical leadership if someone says I know I'm not doing this in my life but I can sure tell you what you're supposed to do in your life tell them no you can't thank you but no thank you I want to see what your life is like I want to see you doing that Paul's approach is the exact opposite of 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 with that infective way of saying, just do what I tell you to do. He said, I want you just to imitate me. I want you to follow what I'm doing. Philippians 4.9, 
Paul talked about it as well. He said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice. He said, you probably heard it from me, but you've also seen it in me. So in essence, he's saying, if you don't see it in me, don't worry about what else I said. But if you've seen it in me, then you can listen to what I'm telling you too. And so I want you to do that. Paul says, follow my example, is what he's saying. He said, I'm giving you that example. I just want you to follow it. And many of the believers that Paul was writing to here at Corinth, they had a unique vantage point because they saw Paul with them. He had lived with them. He helped start that church. They knew him inside and out. They had watched his lifestyle. They'd watched him at work. They'd heard him preach. They'd heard his words, but more than his words, they saw how he lived. They got to watch him physically. Now, we don't have that, do we? We don't have the Apostle Paul here for us. We can't say, you know, I saw Paul down at the, the, other, the gas station the other day. I saw him, how he's interacting with people that were being rude, and he was kind. I saw him, how he was being abused, and he asked a blessing on them. Yeah, we don't see that. We don't get to see that physically with Paul. That's just, we just get to read about it. We get to see the kind of lifestyle that he read, that he lived that way by reading it. But we do, uh, even though um, don't have him here available, we do have others that we can follow their lives by example. At least we can follow them in certain areas of our lives. You're never going to find anyone who's perfect to be your leader. There is no human being that's perfect. I know I'm as close as that comes to anyone, but that's... I think there's one or two glitches somewhere along the way. My kids never believed that either, but that's okay. Because, you know, we're not perfect. We're not perfect human beings. There's none of us who are without sin. There are none of us who have to deal with the sin issue. So whatever leader you find, if you're going to sit and watch them from the pew and say, okay, do what you're going to do, wow me, just never make a mistake, you'll never have a leader. You'll never follow anybody. You'll never imitate anybody. No matter what good example they give you, you won't pay attention to them because that's an unrealistic expectation in this world. Paul was not perfect either. But they were able to follow him. They were able to find in him what they needed. Um, but when, when somebody you know, life seems to be working well, then you probably ought to pay attention to what they're doing. Pay attention to their life. When, when maybe it's not their whole life, maybe it's a part of their life, it's a part that you're struggling with, you see that it's working well in their life, get to know them and follow them, imitate them. Do what they're doing in those areas because that probably will lead you to success in that area of your life that you're struggling with. But don't expect to find a perfect leader. I know according, you know, between me and Bart, I'm probably the better choice, but no, no, he's probably, you know, we're poor examples for you, but it's what you got here. But we can do those kinds of things. 
we're never going to find anybody probably that we'd say, in every area of your life, I want to follow your example. I read a story about a, a, a young man who was starting his own family. <clears throat> and he said, he said this, he said, I love my father. I'm grateful for all he's done, but I cannot follow his example as a husband. He was never attentive to the needs of my mother. said, I could love him. There's some parts of his life that I could follow, but not when it came to being a husband. said, I had to go somewhere else and find that example to follow. That's reality. That's the life that we live in. And so you designate who will be that one that you need to follow maybe for just one portion of your life. And you say, okay, in this area, this person can teach me. This person can encourage me. And so I'm going to follow them in that area. But it's also important to understand that, that um, looking for our leader as examples to follow means that we are no longer spectators. We are now entering the arena of battle. Because if I'm going to be a true follower, if I want to be led, I have to engage. I have to engage in the battles of life. And when it becomes your aim to, init- to imitate a leader, um, you find out just how hard it is to do the things you're trying to accomplish. I'll guarantee you, guys, every one of you will see a quarterback, if you watch any game today or tomorrow night, who will throw a football, and you'll say, I could do that. I could probably do that better. I could hit a baseball better than some of those guys on pro teams. I could bake a cake I found out how hard that really is to do when we got married. Barb's birthday came along. And lo and behold, there was no cake for her. Oh, I guess I'm supposed to make a cake. How hard can that be? I've watched my mom make hundreds of cakes. I've seen them at bakeries. I tried four different times to bake one cake. Finally, I had a cake for her that looked like it had the Grand Canyon running right down the middle of it. I decorated it like the Grand Canyon. I told her it was supposed to be there. It was part of the cake. It was the cake experience. It's hard to make a cake. It's hard to throw a football. It's hard to hit a baseball. It is hard to do a lot of stuff. It's hard to write a book. It's hard to make a movie. But you don't know if you're never in the battle. When you're sitting in the, on the sidelines, when you're sitting in the arena, in the stands, you have no clue how difficult it is. So when you find that person who can help you in that area that you're struggling with, and they're getting it right, you need to pay attention to them. You need to say, I, I need to follow you. I need to imitate you. Can you give me some help here? Watch what they're doing. Watch their life, and then let them talk you through it. Then let them teach you along the way. 
but you got to get out and try. And that's why Paul says, in effect, in effect, follow my example. He's saying, I'm not going to just tell you what to do. I'm going to show you how to do it. And he had been, and he was going to continue to do that right up to the very end of his life. And so he says, I want you to imitate me. So you need to designate that kind of follower or that kind of leader or leaders in your life so that you can follow them and be led by them. Secondly, you need to develop. You need to develop for yourself a system of accountability. If you're going to be a good, a good person to be led, then you're going to have to have some accountability system built in. And again, you're the one who gets to build that in. You're the one who's going to do that because everybody needs to be accountable to somebody. It's just the nature of who we are. Uh, it's one of those essential checks and balances that keep us focused on keeping our priorities straight. Because we have that sin nature, we have that bent to want to sin, we have that bent to want to be lazy, we want that bent to want to do things our own way and not have anybody tell us what we have to do, we have no accountability. We don't want anybody to call us on the carpet and say, you said you were going to do something, but then you didn't do it. How come? Or you didn't do it in a way that was going to be beneficial. Why did you do it that way? We don't want to be asked those kinds of hard questions. We don't want to be accountable to anybody. And if we're not accountable, we're not going to get anywhere. There has to be accountability that is built in. Paul understood that the letter he was sending to the Corinthian church was not going to be in itself enough for them to make the changes in their church life and their personal spiritual lives that they needed to make. Because there had to be some way of accountability. Paul was not there with them. He helped to come back one day, but he was over in Ephesus. He was a, he was a long ways away in that day away from where they were. So how were they going to receive that kind of accountability? So in verse 17, he says, this is the accountability I'm going to help you with. He says, for this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. He says, I'm sending Timothy, and Timothy has a role. It's a two-part role. He says he's going to come and provide leadership for you, and he's going to provide accountability for you. So Paul is saying, if you're smart, if you want to grow in your spiritual life, then you need to designate him, at least in parts of his life, to be a leader for you, because he's not going to just tell you what to do. He's already living it. And then he's going to be willing to be your accountability partner. And so if you can't find an accountability partner anywhere, he said, here's a good choice. Here's Timothy. Timothy's going to come and do that. He could help improve their by giving them teaching and guidance that they needed. He could help them evaluate and measure their progress. And, and just as those uh, whose example you want to follow, uh, you choose whom you're going to be accountable to as well. And occasionally you have that one person, again, who's going to try and bulldoze their way into your life and assume responsibility for evaluating their pro your progress. Uh, and they'll just say, I'm making it my job to tell you how you're doing. We don't generally appreciate those people, do we? 
We think they're busybodies. They're know-it-alls. We wish they would just go away and leave us alone. And you're not alone if you feel that way. Um, that kind of arrangement just doesn't work well uh, for one simple reason. Most of those individuals who want to hold other people accountable aren't themselves accountable to anyone else. They don't think they need to be accountable. But they have no trouble telling you you have to be accountable to them. And that's not the model Paul is, is laying out for these believers and for us. Um, he's not saying look for somebody who, who just live their lives uh, like they're in charge of the rest of the world. Um, he, says, he says, make sure that those to whom you are accountable are themselves accountable to others. A truth, the accountability truth that you have to know is that everyone needs to be accountable to someone. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. You have to be accountable to someone else. You can't just go around trying to hold other people accountable. You need an accountability partner or people in your life that you're accountable to. And actually, accountability works really well when it's reciprocal, when you're accountable to each other. You hold each other accountable. This is the scary part of this whole process. But it's a necessary part of it. We have to be accountable. Because accountability partner in your life is going to help you stay faithful to your commitments and help you maintain progress toward the goals that you're setting for yourself spiritually. And they can help develop consistency to deal with temptation uh, when, you, when you're about to fall into the t- temptations that are all around us. And they can pick you up uh, off, of, off of the dust when you do fall. Because we're all going to fail at some point. So we need that accountability partner there. And Timothy was coming to Corinth in an interesting position. He was not an apostle. Paul was an apostle. That's an intimidating thought. Sometimes he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Sometimes he said, I'm the greatest of the apostles. He was a powerful personality. Timothy was anything but a powerful personality. He was not an apostle. He was coming as one of them. When he got there, they could say, hey, here's Timothy. He's one of us. He lives the same place we live. He's doing the same kind of stuff we're doing. So we can listen to him. We can let him be an accountability partner in our lives. Uh, As a leader himself, uh, um, he was accountable to Paul, and he was there to help them grow in their walk with Christ. He knew what Paul lived. He knew what Paul taught, and he said, you can be, he'll be your partner. He'll be one of you, but he'll speak truth. He will speak those things that I've been telling you all along. And so he said, I'm sending Timothy. I want you to watch for him. Thirdly, not only do you have to choose, you have to designate that, that leader who is a, is a, is a, is I'm living it by my lifestyle leader. You have to, you have to choose that person. You have to, to, to say, this is the person 
I want to be my accountability partner or at least one of them. And then you need to demand from yourself something. You need to demand from yourself measurable results. Measurable results. This is the case where we don't demand results from others. I'm not sitting in the stand saying to the quarterback, don't throw an interception, throw a touchdown pass every time. Don't throw an errant pass, throw a touchdown every time. We're not doing that. Now we're saying, I'm not demanding anything from anybody else around me. I am demanding of myself results. I want to see results in my life. And I can't make somebody else produce those results in my life for me. I have to do that. And so I'm going to expect measurable results. It's hard. A goal is no goal at all if, it can't, if the results can't be measured. And so you have to expect measurable results from what you're doing. And so you're, you cannot sit in the stands and say, I want to watch you in this game. You're not sitting in the pew saying, entertain me, pastor, or leader, or, you know, just wow me today. Now you're saying, um, I want to hold myself accountable for the engagement in life that I have now. How am I doing? Am I doing the things I want to do? Am I seeing the results that I want to see come from what I'm doing? Or am I seeing very different results? And maybe I'm not being a very good follower at that point. I'm not very good at this fine art of being led just yet. And this will be challenging because because a lot of times you're going to think you're going the right direction and you're not, and then you have to kind of back up and retool and come back at it again. But eventually you start to see those measurable results um, because what happens is you're holding yourself to a higher standard. And I got to tell you that the bar is really low on standards of living. We live in a world that's a point-your-finger world. We, we live on, on social media, pointing our finger. We're always pointing our finger at other people, other people who are in the game, people who are, who are involved, and we point our finger at them and we say, you're not doing it right. You're messing up. So I told you you couldn't do it. I told you it would always be a, a, a mess up. We tell our kids that. We tell our spouses that. We tell our neighbors that. We tell people on social media we've never met before. We tell them what's wrong, what they're doing wrong. And I have an opinion about that. My opinion is this is what you did wrong and this is how you got to do it right. People we've never met. We point our finger at them. People we love, we point our finger at them and tell them how messed up they are. Anybody with common sense would not make the choices you're making. But it's our opinion, so we think we have a right to tell people that. We have a right to express our opinion and let them know what it is. 
you know what? Having an opinion is not the same thing as being informed. And a lot of the opinions that you hear, and a lot of opinions you hear coming through your own lips and out the front of your finger somehow because you're pointing at them, which is kind of funny because they can't see you pointing on the computer anyway, but you're doing it anyway. Just uninformed opinions. But you say, well, I'm informed. Okay, that's nice. Having opinion, even if it's informed, is not the same as being engaged. It is not the same as getting down out of the stands onto the field of battle. That's where it matters. And if all you're doing is giving opinions, even if they are informed but you're never engaged, Paul would say, knock it off. It is time to look for measurable results. You don't want those kind of results that you're measuring. Now you want results that you can measure that are going to bring spiritual growth to your life, that are going to bring maturity to your life, that are going to bring the lifestyle of Paul to your life, which is going to bring the lifestyle of Jesus Christ into your life because he was imitating Jesus Christ. And so... Paul says, imitate me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus said, I want you to come. Follow me. Watch what I do. Listen to how I say it. Listen to the attitude of my heart. Engage the world. Those are measurable results that we need to have. Paul says it's easy to give words. Anybody could do it. It doesn't take a PhD in wordology to give words. We all do it. We give words to everybody in our lives. As parents, as grandkids, as whatever it is. We we give words to people. That is not the same thing as engagement is not the same thing as action and being involved. It's not enough to say merely what's on your mind. God expects us to follow through on what we say. So if somebody is really messing up and you feel inclined to give them your opinion, informed or not, you better be willing to back it up by how you live so that they can see what you're saying is real in your life. Because the Bible says, if it's real in our lives and it glorifies God, they will see God and turn to him. If nobody's turning to God because of your wonderful opinions, then maybe you need to figure out a different way to give your opinions. Follow me, Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And lives were changed all around the Apostle Paul. 
had a lifetime of changed lives that were there. Verse 20, here in chapter 4, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Not a matter of talk, but of power. What kind of power is he talking about? What's he talking about there? Look at verses 11, 12, and 13 one more time. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. That's the kind of power Paul's talking about. That's power. That's power that will get people's attention. That's the power to bless those who curse you. It is the power to withstand persecution. It's the power to keep pressing on when the whole world seems to be set against you. Paul said that doesn't come from words. That comes from action. That comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's no amount of talk that can measure up to that kind of power. William Barclay, I've quoted him quite a bit lately because of the things that he said here in 1 Corinthians in his commentary. But he said this. He said, Jesus never said, by their words you shall know them. He said, by their fruits you shall know them. The world is full of talk about Christianity. But one deed is worth a thousand words. Is your life magnifying Jesus Christ? That's what we're called to do. Is my life a demonstration of the power of God? That's what my life needs to be measured by. Mentioned last week, Paul said, all things belong to you. In other words, everything that exists, exists to serve you in the direction of God's holy calling in your life. He said, whatever it is, whether it's Paulus or or me or Peter, uh, he says, we all belong to you, he said, and we're here to serve you. To serve us to do what? To be led. To be led into a life that glorifies God that changes the world that we live in. That's what it all exists to do. Our job, he's saying, is to help you grow in your Christian walk. That's the leader's role. Your role is to designate who those leaders will be. Your role is to, is to be able to find that one who will hold you accountable. and to measure the results. And the rest is up to you. It's up to you. I'll leave you these words this morning. It's not for us to sit in the stands and demand that the leader jump through all the right hoops. It's not our job. Any kind of leadership situation. It's for us to get on the field of battle and engage ourselves in action. When you do that, when you're willing to do that, then you're going to have mastered the fine art of being led. 
And those who are leading you then can lead you your life into victory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love in our lives. Thank you for the changes that you make that moment that we're saved. Giving us freedom from sin, from the consequence of sin, from the power of sin. Thank you for the eternal life that you give. If there's one here today who's never trusted Jesus to be their Savior, we pray that today would be that time when they would say yes to Jesus Christ, to Savior and Lord. Whether they're in this room or whether they're online somewhere, Father, we pray that their lives would be changed in that moment. And then, Father, thank you that you don't leave us to flounder. You don't leave us to the whims of of leaders that don't care. You provide leaders for us. They're there. Men and women who, who don't say, do as I say, not as I do. They say, do as I do. And then listen to what I'm saying. Father, we pray that we would all find those leaders in our lives. Help us to find that pathway that leads to victory. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, as we sing, we're going to ask you to stand. If you need to make a decision today, maybe to trust Jesus as Savior or to join our church or to be baptized, wherever it may be, won't you come as we sing? Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.